PM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Bruce. How do I sound? Good? You sound fantastic. All right. Hmm. I always do. Oh, shut up. All right, I knew you would say that. (laughs) Hey, welcome back. We've got Blake Briggs laughing in the background. I'm Tafat Hussein, joined by the person I just mentioned who has the giggles right now. Um, well, I'm actually in, I'm actually in acute pain right now. Why are you in acute pain right now? What happened? My my calf hurts, and I went for a run earlier today. So the logical explanation: it's just a muscle strain. But I'm also thinking it could be either compartment syndrome or a DVT or uh, myositis or some sort of like ischemic thing, right? I mean, maybe you're just you know you, you threw something off. We got to get like a CTA runoff or go to chiropractor. <laughs> Don't get me started on chiropractor. Um, hey, uh, we are starting a new thing at the end of our podcast where we're going to give out some life advice. So let's remember mm, that for like the that. end. Like um, it's going to be the yeah. uh, life advice for what to do with the calf strain. All right, some pro tips. All right. Um, hey, do you want to talk about our intro? Yes, I'm here. Sorry. I was doing a massage of my calf. Oh, gosh. I was actually scanning my leg. Oh my gosh! This with guy. my butterfly. Can you, can you let me tool. finish our cold, cold intro? This is what happens when we do a cold intro. You know, I thought you'd be impressed that I have a butterfly. Hey, you I know, do. don't think I don't. I didn't listen to the end of the last podcast we did, by the way, where <laughs> you said this is why we can't have nice things. Just because I forget a hashtag or don't know how to use them properly does not mean you can go off on a rant about how we can't have nice things. Come on. Yeah, I mean, that was a bit of a rant, just letting you know. I did appreciate the energy you came into it with. When I listened to that podcast back, I realized I feed off of your energy. And when I don't have yes. anyone to talk to, man, you know, it was like low energy ultifat. Yeah. yeah. So this is why you call me during your shift with certain residents. No, I do not. I've never done that. Okay. <laughs> don't even like start that rumor. Seriously. Man, I love my residents. We. Yeah, don't even try to start drama. My residents are the best in the country. I tell them the best in the world is what I try to tell them. Forget the country. Best in the world. Wake Forest. All right. Anyways, uh, keeping on. Uh, we uh, drop 15-minute episodes. Uh, we drop high yield, bore knowledge. Come for the stem, stay for the content. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at EM Board Bombs. And that is all thanks to who? Dr. Briggs. Who runs all that stuff? Uh, Marlena. Yeah, rock star. She is pretty awesome. PGY2 over at Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. Shout out, Marlena. We'd like to highlight our premium podcast, emrapidbombs.supercast.com. That's where you can find multiple short mini bombs of what we like to do here. Drop high-yield board knowledge and just life knowledge. We've got attendings on there, medical students, residents, people from countries all over the world. It's been pretty cool to see how we've just taken over the world. One country at a time. There you go. All right. Hey, on with the podcast. Let's do this. A 27-year-old male presents to your ED with a chief complaint of leg pain. He states that he got the J&J vaccine yesterday, and he thinks that's why his leg's hurting him today. When you look at his leg, he has what appears to be an open tip-fib fracture <laughs> measuring five centimeters in length. It does not appear contaminated. <laughs> You ask him if anything else happened that could have caused this. He states he was quite intoxicated last night and riding his four-wheeler around, but doesn't remember anything else. 
We've all had we've all had that patient. <laughs> he woke up in the morning with leg pain and the obvious wound, but he's almost certain it was because of the vaccine. He wonders if magnets somehow got into his bloodstream and are popping out and causing the open wound. You explained to him that's actually a piece of his bone and not a magnet. By the way, he is. He doesn't believe you. He does not believe you. No, he showed you some TikTok videos showing why. He's actually already posted on this and is receiving many likes. Although, do you get likes on TikTok? I don't, I've never used TikTok before. I don't know. Who knows? He's neurovascular. He's also, he's also been posted on the OR board. <laughs> right. Hey, so which of the following is the correct next step in this patient with an open tip fib fracture? A, administer cefazolin IV. B, administer ceftriaxone IV. C, administer vancomycin IV. Or D, administer cefazolin IV and gentamicin IV. Dr. Briggs, what's the correct answer? Correct answer here is going to be choice A, administer cefazolin IV. Wait, so not vancomycin. <laughs> yeah, not, not vancomycin and zosin. No. Not z- vosin, as they call it. I set you up. Come on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you love saying that. Oh, uh, shoot. Now I've heard people combine cefepime and vancomycin together. It's called vapime now. <laughs> You're joking. No, I'm being serious. A resident said the other day. I was like, what did you just say? And they're like, Vapim. I was like, what? Man. We're now going there? Kids these days. I know, kids <laughs> these days. Hey, so we're covering the management of open fractures in the ED. Open fractures are fractures that communicate with the external environment. They're most common in high-energy, high-impact trauma, such as like high-speed motor vehicle crashes, motorcycle accidents, as well as boating accidents, falls from height, even four-wheelers. They can range from a tiny break in the skin to limbs hanging off by a small piece of skin tissue. (laughs) Their incidence is an average of 30 per 100,000 fractures. Not rare. It's really important here that open fractures do not, I repeat, do not preclude patients from developing compartment syndrome. In fact, it might increase your chances. 10% of patients with open fractures will develop compartment syndrome. Now that is a board bomb pearl. Right, and we have some board pearls on our compartment injury podcast. Mm-hmm. Plenty of them. Did I just say compartment injury podcast? Oh my gosh. You did, but I'm going to let it slide. Just let it, uh, you know, ESL. All right, keep, keep on. Hey, the most common sites of open fractures are going to be the phalanxes and tibia. But the phalanxes don't really count because that's like Tufts fractures, and we don't really care about those. Most open fractures will be grossly open and clearly evident on exam. This is the most of the cases you'll see in the trauma bay. However, smaller, less obvious locations, such as subtle wounds that overlie joints, are high risk for open fractures. Hey, why don't you cover the physical exam here and why it's really important? Yeah, look, this is one of those where you're just going to see this on the physical exam, right? But you have to worry more about the subtle findings. We'll talk about that real quick. But After identification of an open fracture, you really should be doing a full exam of the patient. You know, you should be assessing for soft tissue damage. Obviously, you're doing Mm -hmm. the neurovascular exam. Following the primary survey, make sure you complete the secondary survey so that additional injuries are not missed. 
in this example, clearly this was a four-wheeling injury. You shouldn't just focus on the tip-fib. Look for other signs right. of injury. Now, if they're concerns for arterial injury, conduct ABIs. That's what Dr. Briggs is doing right now for his calf pain because he yep. wants to make sure yep. that his ABIs are okay and that he doesn't need a CT scan with runoff into his leg, right? <laughs> Remember, a normal ABI is greater than 0.9. ABIs less than 0.9 would need immediate vascular surgery evaluation. Also, don't forget about the joint spaces. And if that open fracture is adjacent to a joint, such as the knee or ankle, you can consider doing a joint challenge with a saline load, arguably UCT as well. There's a lot of debate you know, when it comes to the optimal way to assess joint involvement. But again, we're going to leave that for another time, maybe another discussion. But saline loading is the most common practice. There's a lot of debate with a lot of things in orthopedics. All right, let's, don't get me started. Ooh, don't get me started. Now, the, the area where you got to be careful here is that subtle, subtle open fracture. And you see this a lot where you know, you'll see this sometimes in the upper extremity, even in the lower extremity, where it might look like an abrasion, but you really need to just sit there. And I've, there have been times where I've literally, uh, with a cotton swab, like tip end, just tried to see, hey, is that communicating through or not? Or is that just an abrasion? Um, you have to be really careful with that. It's important to mobilize the fracture after the initial assessment. You don't want to make it worse. As always, you know, be providing these patients with appropriate analgesia. Hey, Briggs, talk about the classification of open fractures. Um, this is the part where a lot of people are going to tune out. So please, please, brevity. <laughs> the classification of open fractures are dependent on the size and level of soft tissue involvement of the fracture. So there's this thing out there, and it's called the Castillo-Anderson classification <sighs> system. Sorry, that was me I know. Sorry. And it's used to grade the level of open fracture. It has an adherence of about less than 5%. <laughs> I just made that up. And it's based on the size of the skin defect and degree of soft tissue injury and contamination. The limitation, however, it has poor inter-observer agreement on classification. We have to remember that, you know, Dr. Garcia was a smart man, of course, but when he came out with this stuff, it's been a long time, <laughs> like a long time since these classifications came out. And there hasn't really been much on it since. This is an area that doesn't get a lot of traction because you can imagine the IRB really just putting a stop to any research on it. So we're stuck with this, and there's a few other classifications out there, but this one's the most tested one you're going to have to just know about. So grade one is less than one centimeter, no contamination, clean puncture site, small amount of tissue damage. Grade two is one to 10 centimeters with a moderate amount of contamination and tissue damage is pretty evident. And then it gets in this grade three, and basically grade threes are all greater than 10 centimeters with extensive contamination, soft tissue damage. And then it gets into this grade three A, grade three B, grade three C. You don't have to know really any of that. I wouldn't bother memorizing it. You can just look it up if you really want to. You can always just walk out of the room, Google it, look it up, and then call your orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, you don't need <laughs> to know. Really it. I mean, for board purposes. No. I mean, Absolutely yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. The only really difference you have to know is grade one and two versus grade three. And the reason is, is because of the antibiotics. And we'll talk yeah. about that in a second. And that one's relatively easy to remember. And we'll summarize that at the end. Yeah, we will. Um, Dr. Hussain will do that after I uh, go to the ER for a CTA. 
for my calf. Yes. So 50% of grade three C injuries, that's like the worst of the worst, they result in amputation. Oh, yeah. 50%. There is some level of dispute on the use of this system as we talked about as Some open fractures may have greater extent of bone involvement, and that may or may not be visible on initial assessment in the ED, but frankly, we don't really care. Uh, mm-hmm. No one really cares about this. Uh, it doesn't influence us. And so really, it comes down to knowing grade one and two versus three, and then management. So first things first, ABCs, or really CAB and trauma. That's, that's really what you should be focusing on. Once you arrive at circulation, you should attempt to control any hemorrhage that's occurring by direct pressure or tourniquet if the patient is in severe shock or otherwise with uncomfortable bleeding. You need to resuscitate the patient, obviously. Traditional teaching states that all patients should receive antibiotics and go to the operating room within six hours for washout and or reduction, you know, internal fixation, whatever needs to be done. And the management of open fractures is dependent on the classification of these open fractures. So again, getting back into these grades here, just really fast. For grade one and two, you're going to give a cephalosporin first gen, which is pretty much just cephazolin, which is pretty much just ANCEF, the brand name. If they're allergic to ANCEF, then you can vancomycin or clindamycin. And again, for type one and type two, you're looking at less than 10 centimeters, correct? Yes. Okay. Correct. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you listening. I I wasn't, just to be clear, I had to scroll back up. (laughs) For type 3 classifications, you're going to give, again, first-gen cephalosporin, which is cephazolin, and an aminoglycoside, because we use those often, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which is gentamicin. So you're going to give gentamicin and cephazolin in this case. Now, your hospital may or may not be like a hospital I may or may not work at, and they like to use rocephin instead of ansef and gentamicin. If you're one of those hospitals, they're following some different guidelines based off of some Michigan orthopedic paper. What I'm saying is don't be listening to our podcast and saying, wow, these guys are really behind. Some hospitals like to use ceftraxone instead of the combo of ansef and gentamicin. You know, there's minimal research for any of this stuff. It probably doesn't matter, but I can promise you on the boards, they're not going to ask you about ceftraxone. They're going to want you to do cephazolin and gentamicin for these grade three classifications. Remember, grade three, A, B, and Cs, all greater than 10 centimeters. You got it. Hey, tell us about other antibiotics that are like special situations. Now we get back into more interesting things. Thank you, Dr. Briggs. You're welcome. (laughs) So consider penicillin for open fractures that involve farm accidents, you know, with concern for contamination with clostridium. When it comes to freshwater contamination, add fluoroquinolone or a third or fourth generation cephalosporin. Lastly, for saltwater contamination, consider fluoroquinolones or ceftriaxone and doxycycline. That was a fun little bugs and drugs session. I appreciate that. That was, you know, I think, I think it's interesting. It makes us sound smart too, I feel. Oh yeah. Anytime you start like just dishing out like antibiotic advice, people are like, oh man. Yeah. You know, Can you imagine being in the trauma code and the open fracture comes in and you're like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, uh, excuse me. We need to add penicillin for clostridium perfringens. People will look at you like, whoa. Yeah. The oh, trauma yeah, surgeons, yeah, is, they might say, wait, we can't just give vank and discharge. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I'm just joking. I love my trauma docs. But really, the latest literature available demonstrates that the timing to antibiotic coverage is the most important determining factor in infection with regards to open fractures. You know, this sounds a lot like uh, the sepsis uh, research we've done. Yes. (laughs) It's kind of like nothing else matters. 
just timed antibiotics. Although the currently used algorithm for antibiotic regimen has not changed in many years, like we said, this is a pretty old classification Mm -hmm. system. There have been any studies to show any alternative regimens with higher success and lower infection rates. So it's kind of like, let's just keep doing it. (laughs) What a surprise. (laughs) Let's just stick with the status quo. Hey, uh, also, what you should be doing for every uh, trauma patient here? What should we be doing? So the life-saving stuff here. I'm going to drop this right now, the life-saving stuff. Mm -hmm. Give them a tetanus, please. Yes. Shot. Don't give them tetanus. Give them the shot. Oh, they knew what I meant, Dr. Briggs. Yes. Yes, that's true. So the definitive management for open fractures are with orthopedic surgery with irrigation debridement and wound closure as soon as possible. And early wound closure will decrease the rate of infection. However, Iltafat here is going to tell you a really important pearl regarding wound care in the ED. And it's going to go against what a lot of people think they should be doing. Sure. Yeah. So wound care within the ED should be initiated to remove just gross contamination. So if orthopedics or surgery plans on taking the patient to the OR, don't even bother with touching or attempting to clean the wound. Um, nope. Isn't going to help anything. And frankly, you could make things worse by you know doing aggressive you know irrigation again. What do we say? This is if they plan to take the patient to the OR. So, right. However, if there's prolonged wait something is holding things up, it's going to be a while, um, then you can initiate, this is key, low pressure irrigation with sterile water or normal saline to decrease the risk of developing osteomyelitis. This is now one of those where you're using one of your 20cc vials and just irrigating like crazy on that wound. No, again, low pressure. Place sterile dressings on the wound to decrease the risk of infection along with the mobilization. Hey, you want to hear something cool? Yeah, for sure. I got to put you in a better mood. I can tell you're not liking this. I mean, how could you tell? I mean, this is one of those where, what, we give antibiotics and, you know, call ortho. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of not being entertained, is this worse than the uh, endocarditis podcast we did? No, no, no. I, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's relatively straightforward. I mean, look, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is, you're going to mention this at the end, this is a collab that we have with someone this else. This is a collab. Yeah, this is a collab. We'll talk this about it collab. at the end. We'll yeah. talk at the end. Hey, Tufts fractures. This is the coolest thing you'll learn all day. I think one so, One quick too. note. I think so, too. These are very common, Tufts fractures, mm-hmm. and they are often associated with distal phalangeal injuries like distal partial amputation, nail bed mm-hmm. lacerations, and even a subungal hematoma. Sure. These are quickly identified an x-ray so make sure to obtain a radiograph on all distal phalanx injuries most people do this and for this reason if it's not more than just a simple laceration here's the good news tufts fractures while they're very common and they are considered an open fracture they do not need prophylactic IV antibiotics you treat these as any other fracture with splint immobilization and outpatient orthopedic follow-up of course you're going to address the distal phalanx injury as indicated like a nail bed repair Mm -hmm. trephination for a hematoma etc but no IV antibiotics, no surgery, outpatient follow-up for the vast majority of these. Or, you know, mention oral antibiotics on discharge. Sure. Either. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was being, um, being quite specific there. But you're right. Hey, let's summarize this and get out of here. Let's make like a bone and break. <laughs> Is that what they're teaching you down in Bama right now? Is that what they're teaching yeah, you down Yeah, no, actually, most patients, most patients ask me, hey, doc, is it broken? No, I'm like, no, it's fractured. Oh, thank God. <laughs> You gotta, you know, I used to try to explain that. I'm not even joking. And then people would be like, wait, is it, 
Is it like one of those compound fractures? Oh my god! And that, I was just, just like, like here on the news. <laughs> just like on the news. Can't, can't do it. Yeah, it's like that recent thing I saw on the news where someone important like had a bad injury. They had to go uh, to a trauma center, and the news agencies were just freaking out because they're like, "I can't believe this person is going to the county hospital." And ever all these doctors online were like, "Yeah, that's because it's the trauma center." <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's we won't even get into why the nice hospital doesn't have any trauma. <laughs> oh, oh, anyway, let's keep going. Hey, summarize everything. Yeah, yeah. So let's bring it together. So once you've identified an open fracture, performed a detailed secondary survey. Remember what I said. You know, look for those subtle open fractures too. That's absolutely critical that you capture it in that moment. If there's enough force to cause an open fracture, you're gonna probably find some other traumatic injury. All open fractures, regardless of size or the gustilo grade, will receive ANSAF, Ooh, that's good. right? Gentamicin should be added for grade 3, and that's just greater than 10, and heavily contaminated open fractures. So just remember that, you know, just that cutoff, 10 centimeters or less, right? Add additional mm-hmm. antibiotics catered toward the mechanism. We mentioned some of those key pearls, salt water, fresh water, soil contaminated wounds. And most importantly, most importantly, I would say most importantly, maybe second thing that's most important what we mentioned is do not forget tetanus prophylaxis. That is absolutely critical. Relatively straightforward. This is one of the few times you do actually have to call orthopedics uh, into your ER uh, for something like this. Otherwise, you know, you can handle most orthopedic things in the ED. They tend not... Like 90-something percent. Yeah, they tend not to be really emergent things. Nope. I want to give a shout out to at Physician Doodle on Twitter. She's a longtime follower of VM Board Bombs. She does these awesome drawings on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, Iltafat and I were looking at them before the podcast, and they're pretty sick. And she did one for us. Uh, she offered to do one for us for open fractures, and it's pretty awesome. So, really big shout out. The artwork's beautiful, and uh, really appreciate having a talent during residency there. She's a emergency medicine resident. Keep up the cool work. It's awesome. Nice. It's always cool seeing ED docs do a lot of, you know, doing this educational work outside right. of EM, right? So it's pretty awesome, Absolutely. especially as a resident. Good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Finding the time so to do that. So much talent. So much talent in EM. <laughs> so proud of our specialty. It's a good specialty. Hey, let's take us out. Hey, so um, we appreciate everyone's support. You can find us at EM Board Bombs. Um, on Twitter and Instagram. You can visit our website, emboardbombs.com. Our handouts are seen all the time. Uh, just in case you know, you're know you on shift and you want to do some quick teaching, feel free to print off one of our handoffs for one of your students. Our handouts, uh, frankly, get you know majority of the traffic on our website, which is really cool to see. People just access them from all over the world. As we mentioned before, check out our premium podcast. It's emrapidbombs.supercast.com. We're about to pass 150 episodes uh, this week, which is pretty cool. And check it out. See you next time. Bye.